0: Welcome to our second summer living room. You guys doing okay? Fantastic. Mitch, Mitchell, great to have you here. Get to work with Mitchell at Watermark. Isn't he awesome? Good looking. Backwards hat, straight baller. You're welcome, even though you are mean to me earlier. Hey, so glad you guys are here. My name is Sammer. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, I'll just let you know who I am. I get to work uh, at Watermark. I get to lead the living room up at KSU, which is awesome. That's right. Oh, wow, you guys stopped clapping pretty quick. Uh, and uh, I hang out with Brad Horton, who leads the living room down at Buckhead. We get to work together uh, and uh, work with college students like you all year long. Uh, but this is fun because we've got a bunch of you in town. I know we have a bunch from out of town. Who doesn't go to a college in the state of Georgia? A few of you. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Is there anyone here first time today? A couple of you? Fantastic. That's so great. Hey, we're really, really glad that you guys are here. And is that, is that my mic? Well, hey, so we just kicked off a series uh, last week called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Now, some of you, if you you aren't here, let me just kind of catch up on where we were going. We're not trying to be heretical. We're not trying to say, hey, Jesus, you're an idiot for saying some of the stuff that you said. We're not saying, hey, Jesus, you were wrong. We're not saying, hey, Jesus, what were you thinking? We're just saying, hey, when you read through the New Testament, and when you read through some of the stuff that Jesus said, when you read through the Gospels, when you read through some of his teachings and some of the stuff that he taught, you kind of just left thinking, if you're honest, man, Jesus, did you really have to go that far? Jesus, did you really have to say blank? Did you really have to be that extreme? Did you really have to be that serious about A, B, C, and D? And if we're honest, we kind of read some things, maybe we've heard some things, and we just kind of think, hey, you know what? On the surface, it seems that it would just be a lot easier to be a Jesus follower if Jesus hadn't said some of the things that he said. That on the surface, if we're honest, it just just kind of feels and seems at times that if Jesus hadn't said some of the things that he said, if he hadn't taught some of the things that he taught, that following Jesus would be a lot more convenient, that following Jesus would be a lot more comfortable and a lot easier. And so we're diving in and looking at some of the things that, not that he shouldn't have said, not that he was wrong to say, but things that we just honestly wish maybe he had never said. And as we're going to find, the issue isn't with what Jesus said, but the issue is with us. That something that Jesus said, that a button that Jesus pushed, that a part of our lives that Jesus is speaking into is a little bit sensitive, and we're just not ready to let anybody in, especially Jesus. And we said that the reason why so much of what he said, and and so many things that he said we kind of wish he didn't say, is because a lot of what Jesus taught requires something of you and requires something of me, That, that so much of what Jesus taught us and so much of what he said requires a level of action, requires faith, requires surrender, requires sacrifice, requires a step. And it's one thing we said to say that we love Jesus and to say that we're followers of Jesus and to to proclaim that with our lips and to say it with our mouths, but it's another thing to live that out with our lives. And that's why we said after every single one of these messages this summer, you're gonna be be able to take what, um, what, what we're talking about and you're gonna be able to apply it. You're gonna be able to go home that night That day, whatever, and you're gonna be able to apply whatever it is that we're talking. Why? Because we don't want you guys to leave here just being people who say that you're followers of Jesus, but we want you to leave here this summer and go into your schools next year. As people who say it by the way that they live. So, things that I wish Jesus never said. And this is where we kind of landed. We said that so much of what Jesus taught kind of seems a little crazy, but here's what we want you to know this summer, and here's where we're going, and everything that we teach, we're not trying to step on toes. Jesus wasn't trying to step on toes. Here's what we believe, and here's what we really believe for you, is that Jesus wants more for you, that Jesus wants more for you this summer than you probably even want for yourself, that your Heavenly Father wants more for you than you even want for yourself, so we're going to dive in. I told you guys last week that I was engaged, which is awesome news. Her name is Julie. Uh, Here's a picture of Julie. Um, That's me and her. Yeah, I know. She's so cute. And uh, that was at her birthday party last year that I put together. It was amazing. Gave some really great gifts. I did a really good job. That's me patting myself on the back. <clears throat> and uh, so it's interesting. Julie and I are engaged. Getting married in September, in four months. And I mentioned to you how I wanted to shoot myself in the face for the plan- wedding planning, I think is the term that I used. <clears throat> but Jean and Julie's story is really interesting. Um, we met in 2007 at our freshman year at the University of Georgia. But if Julie were here to tell you the story, she would say that I probably met her about six times, and every time I introduced myself. Um, Yeah. Here's the thing, though. I don't remember that. I don't remember any of that happening, but she has witnesses. She has friends that said, every time you saw me, Sammer, that year, you said, hey, my name is Sammer. And I'm like, well, I don't even remember like any of them, any of the six kind of deal. And so that was my, the first time apparently that I met Julie was in 2007. Well, then 2010 rolls on. A few years later, we get through a couple years of college. 2010, we get involved at the same church and we start having friends, mutual friends who are like, dude, you need to ask Julie out on a date. And I'm like, dude, I don't even really know her. You know, like, I mean, you know, I've seen her a couple times, but you know, I don't know. Let's just kind of see where that goes. Well, right around that time, I had a good buddy of mine that said, hey, Sam, listen, I heard so-and-so's telling you to ask Julie out, but I think I want to ask her out. Can I? And I'm like, go ahead, dude. I'll have no vested interest, you know? Um, looking back now, I've been like, no. And so I was like, I was like, it's cool, man. Ask her out. You know, have at it. Have a great time, whatever. So they went on a few dates, and that was the end of that. And so we're getting into our senior year of college. This is 2011 now, and people are like, Sam, you need to ask her out. Sam, you need to ask her out. And I'm like, I'm about to go to Dallas, like I'm going to a different state, across country, I don't do long distance relationships, you know what I mean, like I ain't trying to do that, I don't Skype, I'm just, I'm, I'm good with that, okay, I don't want to have a FaceTime relationship, so it's complicated, so I'm just like, I'm just, I'm not going to worry about it, I'm sure she's awesome, but, but no thanks. So I go out to Dallas, and, and I do nothing with this whole Julie thing, and I go out to Dallas, and I do my first semester, and I come back for Christmas, and I had a friend, I said, Samer, you're being an idiot, I said, okay, Why? She goes, you need to hang out with Julie. She literally said, this is the Holy Spirit in me. You need to ask her out, okay? <laughs> Probably the closest I'll ever get to God's audible voice. And so, so I'm like, you know what? I'm home for Christmas. Let me take her out to coffee, and that'd be awesome. Why not? So I took her out to coffee. Got Starbucks. It was awesome. She made me a little loaf of banana bread, so that was fantastic. Uh, so we had a good time. But this idiot, yeah, I'm going out to Dallas so I, so I didn't call or text her after, after that. I just kind of, yeah, I know, how are you engaged her? So I just kind of let, let it go. I was just like, man, I'm going back to Dallas. Hey, Julie, thanks, but it's all good, maybe next time. So I just went back to Dallas, and I just did my thing. I, did, I literally, literally no contact. It was so dumb, but I did it. Well, I go through that whole school year, and she finds out she is, we're in 2012 now, and she is coming to Dallas to get her master's. So I'm thinking, okay, I see you okay, okay, Julie, I'm cool with that. Well, so that whole year, though, I did nothing. Literally, I thought about it, and I kind of got nervous. I got scared. I thought, oh, what if it doesn't work out? Oh, what if it's awkward? Oh, what if it actually does work, you know? Like, that kind of scared me, Um, and so for a whole year, I went back and forth on whether or not I should ask her out. We are in 2013, now 2014, people. Um, I literally just didn't want to do anything, and then finally, in May, bunch of us were out to eat one night. She wanted to introduce a bunch of people to her sister, so we all went out to eat, and I got there before her, and she walks down the steps into this restaurant, and I was like, dang, (laughs) shopping. Straight up text one of my buddies, and I was like, dude, Julie just walked in, and I'm trying to like make out with her tonight. Like that's what like, (laughs) I didn't do that, because that'd be awful. I'm a pastor, but... That's what I want. I was just like, Julie, what the heck? You know, like, what is, what is this? I, mean, I clearly was blind, but I, I was so attracted to her. Just, it was just mere physical. I'm a guy. So I was just like, my goodness. So I was like, I'm trying to talk to her that night. So I'm trying to talk to her. I listened to a guy awkwardly ask her to coffee. Yeah, that joker had no chance. And so I'm just letting all this kind of play out. This is in May. Idiot. I go the entire summer, and I do nothing. I'm trying to text her a little bit, and maybe we're talking, but then I get nervous, and I I back off, I back off. I I call every now and then we'll talk, and then I'll go a few weeks without saying anything. We worked at the same swim school that summer, so she saw me with my red bathing suit on, and it was probably super attracted to me, so we really got to know each other, Um, but I would kind of, kind of, and then I would not, I would not. And then finally, September of 2014, seven years after I kind of didn't remember meeting her. I was talking to a buddy of mine. I said, Ben, I don't know what to do. And he says, Samer, I'm sick of you. I said, okay, what are you trying to tell me? He was like, I have three questions for you. I said, okay. He said, are you attracted to her? I said, yeah. He said, do you like spending time with her? I said, yeah. And he said, does she love Jesus? I said, yeah. And he said, then shut up and ask her out. So I did. I did. It worked. I asked her out. And, um, She almost said no because she was so sick of my waffling back and forth. I didn't know that until after the fact. That would have blown my confidence. But I asked her out, and here I am. A year later, we get engaged, and four months from now, we are getting married. Now, I tell you that story because it blows my mind to think that there was a span of seven years where, like, my wife was right there. Now, I don't believe that there's a one- Okay, I'm not going to get into that. You can go listen to our dating series that we just did. But I'll just say that Julie is my one. And it blows my mind to think that for seven years, she was right there. And, And for seven years, and even in the three or four years that I was starting to get to know her, I did nothing. And it blows my mind because knowing what I know now, I wish I would have done differently. Knowing what I know now, I wish I could go back, drop, kick myself in the face, and leave a note that says, ask out Julie Knight. That would have been fantastic. Okay? Because I have grown to love Julie so much. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. And I'm thinking about the years that I missed because I was being an idiot. Because I was scared. I was nervous of a commitment. And I look back, and the perspective that I have now is, man, if only I knew. If only what I knew, what I know, I knew then. If I knew Julie. If I knew, it's almost like if I could tell the future, I wish I could go back and ask her sooner, if only, if only, if only. I've had to apologize for that. Scared <laughs> yeah, I'm done with this mic, actually. That scared me, dog. I was like, Julie. Okay, um, this is great. Is this off? Yeah, we good. Great, great. <clears throat> but really, I think about the time that I missed, and I wish I could go back. If only I could go back. And I don't know if you ever had those moments. I don't know if you ever had moments where you look back at a moment, you look back at a season of your life, and you, you made some decisions, you did some things, and you just kind of wish that you could go back. You wish that you could do it differently. And for some of you, it's kind of funny. For some of you, you might get a funny story out of it like I did. Maybe it's a relationship story, and it's something you can tell one day when you're preaching to college students. Okay. But I would be willing to bet that all of you would be able to look back at your life. You'd be able to look at moments of your life, seasons of your life, And you look back at decisions that you made, and you don't think of something funny, but you have serious regret. You look back at your life, and you think about things that you did, things that you said, things that you tried, things you were a part of, places you went, relationships you were a part of. And and you're thinking to yourself, if only I knew what I know now, things would have been different. If only I knew what I know now, I would have chosen differently. If I had a different perspective then, like I do now, I would have chosen Differently. And for some of you, you look back at a season and you look back at a time in your life and you wish that you knew. You wish that what you think now, you wish that what you knew now, your perspective now was what your perspective was then because you would have made different decisions. And it's so funny that in the moment of decision making, in the moment of whatever it is that you're in and the season that you're in, whenever you're making a decision in the moment, it doesn't just feel so right. You think you're making the right decision. You think you're doing the right thing. You think there's not going to be any consequences later. You think it's not that big of a deal. You think no one's going to find out. You think one time isn't going to hurt. You think that no one's ever going to know and it's not going to be a big deal. But it's always, 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 almost always after the fact, almost always after the fact, you're looking back thinking, man, I wish I had done different. It's so interesting that your past perspective, it's not supposed to be over our face. That's funny. Your past perspective said, I know what I'm doing. I've got this under control. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly the decision I'm gonna make. I've already counted the risk. It's gonna be fine. It's not a big deal. It's just one time. Leave me alone. But your future perspective usually always says, If I knew what I know now, I would have done differently. Your future perspective always says, If I knew what I know now, I would have chosen differently. See, this is what this tells us that your perspective, is really, really important. Your perspective and the way that you view things is really, really important because your perspective determines your behavior. Your perspective determines your actions. Your perspective determines your decision-making. And today, for just a few minutes tonight, as Brad told you, we're going to talk about a little word that tends to be taboo in church and sometimes tends to be really sensitive, but this idea of sin. And tonight, we're going to talk about what your perspective of sin is. What is your perspective? When you think about your personal sin, what's your attitude towards your sin? When you think about your sin, what's your perspective of your sin? How seriously, in other words, do you take your sin? When you think about your sin, how seriously do you take it? And tonight we're going to look at how seriously Jesus takes sin. And here's what we're going to find is that Jesus' Jesus's view is actually pretty extreme. Jesus' view um, might actually seem like he's gone a little bit crazy, but here's what Jesus understood. This whole past and future perspective, Jesus understood this because here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that for all of us, if there was a sin that we just could not get rid of, if there was a sin that continued to be a part of our lives, he knew that eventually we would end up here. Jesus knew that any sin that continued to rule in our lives would eventually take us to a place in life where we were left thinking, if only I knew what I know now, I would have chosen differently. If I knew what that sin was going to become in my life, I might have tried to stop it. If I knew what that sin was going to lead to in this relationship, if I knew what that sin was actually going to mean with the ripple effects later on down the road, if I knew that there actually were going to be consequences for my sin later, I might have chosen differently. Jesus knows. He has a perspective on sin that we tend to forget. Because we get so wrapped up in this. I know what I'm doing. But Jesus knows. Jesus knew that for all of us, our sin, unchecked, will eventually take us to a place where we're here. Where we're left thinking, man, I wish I knew differently. And so Jesus is going to tell us differently. And and here's the deal. It seems crazy. It might be a little extreme. And at some point, it's going to get a little bit heavy. But here's what I want you to know. And we're going to say this throughout the series. And I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Jesus wants more for you than you want for yourself. So, with that in mind, let's jump into Mark chapter 9, verse 43. We're just going to right jump in. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. All right, Jesus. Thank you. You sure about that? I can't put it in my pocket. Tie it behind my back. Got to cut it off, Jesus. It's a little crazy. It's a little messy. You got any Band-Aids? You got a sharp machete? What are you talking about? And this word stumble... This word stumble means to fall away or to intentionally sin against God. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin against God, then cut it off. But He's not done yet. He says, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not done. He says, and if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I told you you'd be able to apply everything. We'll be giving out number two pencils and machetes on the way out today. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Gouge it out. Look, Jesus, you guys, you guys know this, okay? And if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Jesus doesn't mean this literally. Jesus doesn't literally mean you need to mutilate yourself because of sin. There are actually people who have believed it in history, and it's crazy, but Jesus wasn't being totally literal, but he was being really emphatic, and he used very colorful language on purpose. He used language that was so emphatic because Jesus wanted everybody to know that he took sin really, really seriously, that his sin wasn't a joke, that it wasn't something that wasn't a big deal. No, to Jesus, our sin was a really big deal to the point that if there is anything in our lives, if there's anything in your life, if there's anything in my life that causes us to sin, Jesus says, remove it. If there's any activity, if there's any relationship, if there's anything in your life that is causing you to sin, Jesus says to remove it. And he says it so emphatically and uses it with such graphic language, and it shows how seriously Jesus took sin. Now, some of you might think that's all all that Jesus said. In fact, some of you might have been taught that that is all that Jesus said. Hey, if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. That's it. But here's what I love about this message is that Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, Jesus tells us the why behind the what. Jesus gives us the why behind why he would say, hey, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. He gives us the reason. I keep saying Jesus wants four for you and he's going to tell you why. Why is it that he was so extreme? I didn't read you the whole verses. Here are what all the verses say. If your hand caused you to stumble, cut it off. Why? It is better for you to enter life maimed then with two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. Verse 45, he says, and if your foot causes you to sin, causes you to stumble, cut it off. Why? Because it is better, Jesus says, for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And he goes on in verse 47. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Why? Because it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. In to hell. Samer, I thought it got better. You started talking about hell. Are you allowed to say that in church? Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. It is better to enter life maimed, crippled, and without an eye than to be thrown in to hell. This idea of better. Jesus is giving us a perspective here. He's saying, hey, you think you know something. You think you've got under control. You think you know what you're doing. You think you know how to make this life happen for you, but I'm going to tell you what's better for you. I'm going to tell you on the front end what you wish you knew. That it is better for you to get rid of anything and everything that causes you to sin than to allow that thing to continue to cripple you, than to allow that thing to continue to lead you into sin and you be thrown into hell. Hell is a really sensitive topic. It's a really emotional word. But Jesus talks about it. But what he isn't doing, he's not trying to scare the hell out of you, pun intended. And I'm not either. Because that's not how Jesus operated. That's not how this church operates. And that's not how this ministry operates. But as sensitive as that word is and as emotional as that word hell is, Jesus seemed to believe that there was something after this life. Jesus believed that there was a heaven after this life and that there is a hell after this life. And Jesus believed that this life wasn't everything and that after this life there was going to be more. And Jesus is saying that what I offer is better. That what I can give you is better. This whole idea of entering life that's used in the passage, it means eternal life. It means entering life after this life. It means life beyond this life. And essentially, Jesus' point is that eternal life is better. Eternal life is better. That life after this life is over is better. And here's what Jesus knew. And here's what he believed, and here's what's true, and here's what the Bible teaches us. That the one thing that stands in the way between us and a right relationship with God is sin. The one thing that stands in between us and eternity in heaven with our heavenly Father is sin. Sin is the one obstacle that gets in the way. That sin is the one obstacle. It's the one reason why all of us are deserving of hell. Why all of us are deserving of the punishment of sin, which is death. And the reason I can say that so upfront is because that's not where it ends. It ends with your heavenly Father sending Jesus to die for you and to die for me so that he would take the penalty of sin and that we would no longer need to bear the penalty. We had been set free. That because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, eternal life is a reality for you and for me. That eternal, eternal life is a reality for you and for me. That after this life, we have hope that there is more for us after this life is over. And Jesus is saying, that sin that's going to stand in the way, that sin that you continue to hold on to and stiff arm the church, that sin that you continue to hold on to and stiff arm God, that sin that you continue to hold on to and stiff arm the friends that are trying to love you through it, that sin is the one obstacle that is keeping you from right relationship with me. But look, I've already taken care of it. I sent Jesus to die for it. And I'm trying to tell you that you think your sin is fun, you think your sin has no consequences, you think your sin is no big deal. But I'm here to tell you, your sin is the one thing that is keeping you from life with me after this life is over. And I'm here to tell you, I fixed it. I'm not mad at you, I'm just trying to tell you that I have something better. I have something way better. Eternal life is better, Jesus says. But here's what's so cool about this. Some of you are like, okay, that's cool, Sam. Yeah, I believe in, in heaven and hell, and, and I believe that I'm a Christian, so what does that mean for me? Is he just saying that I need to cut my arm off? Does that mean that I can lose my salvation? Does that mean that, I can, um, that God doesn't love me if I don't cut off my hand, if I keep sinning? What does it mean if, I be- what, if I'm a believer? If I put my faith in Jesus, what does this verse mean for me? And there's another aspect of this eternal life. That's pretty cool. And Jesus tells us in John ten ten to kind of tag on to the, the verse in Mark. He says that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I have come, I have come into this world to die on the cross that people who believe in me would have life, and that life there is also eternal life, that they would have life after this life is over, but here's what is so cool and here's what I don't want you to miss and here's where it starts to get crazy and here's why I need you to pay attention is that, yes, Jesus says, I've come to give them life and to give it to the full, to give them eternal life after the life is over. But here's what's so true about this is that the eternal life starts now. That Jesus says, I didn't come into this world just so that you could have hope after this world. No, no, no. I have come so that on this side of heaven, there was life to be had. That on this side of heaven, I have come so that you could experience the fullness of life in me. That eternal life, Jesus says, starts now. That this sin problem that I came to fix, yeah, it saves you later, but eternity for you starts now. And here's why Jesus took sin so seriously, and here's why Jesus was so upfront about it, and here's why Jesus would go as far to say that I want you to cut it, no matter what it is, out of your life. Because Jesus came to give us life. Jesus came to give us life even on this side of heaven. And here's what we know about sin is that sin has consequences. You know that. Sin has consequences. In fact, sin kills. Sin kills things. In fact, our senior pastor, Andy Stanley, gave a sermon a couple months ago, and he said something that never left my mind, and I I continue to think about it all the time, and he's so right when he said that every time you sin, something dies. Every time you sin, something dies dies. And so Jesus is over here saying, look, I have given you life, and I've come so that you can have life. I've given you something better. And sin is the very thing that is standing in the way of that life. Sin is the very thing standing in the way of experiencing the fullness of what Christ has to offer. That every time you sin, something dies, because that's what sin does. Sin kills. That every time you sin, something dies. Sin kills your relationships. Sin kills your marriage one day. In fact, some of you might have been a part of a family where your mom or dad's sin broke up the family. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills friendships. Sin kills your self control. Sin kills your conscience. Sin kills your mind. Sin kills your purity. Sin robs you of joy and happiness. Nothing in your life and nothing in my life ever came about that was a good thing as a result of sin. Nothing in your life is good or nothing in your life is positive as a result of sin. It's the complete opposite. Sin corrupts everything that it touches. Sin ruins everything that it's associated with. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have more. I came to die for this sin. Not so that you would let it kill you, but so that you would live in the fullness of what it means to know me. Jesus wants you to experience intimacy with your heavenly Father. Because ultimately, in all the things that sin kills, in all the things that get in the way, the one thing, the overarching thing that sin does is as an obstacle to intimacy with your heavenly Father. That this idea of eternal life starts now. That eternal life, which is you knowing your heavenly Father and knowing your Savior, that starts now. And sin is an obstacle to your intimacy with God. In fact, every good thing in your life is a result of intimacy with God. Every good thing in my life is a result of intimacy with God. Every healthy relationship. Intimacy with God breeds healthy friendships, a healthy lifestyle, wise decisions, joy, peace, comfort, hope, grace, and love in a way that nothing in this world ever can. And essentially, The reason why Jesus was so hard on sin, the reason why he was so stern, and the reason why he would look at his people and give such graphic language is because here's what Jesus knew to be true, that taking sin seriously creates space to experience God intimately. Taking sin seriously creates space to experience God intimately. Because out of your intimacy with God flows everything in your life that is good. And out of intimacy with God flows so many things that give you life. While sin looks to kill, while sin kills things in your life, intimacy with God is what will give you life. And that's why Jesus is like, guys, hey, what are you doing? Cut it off. Not because I'm mad, not because there's something wrong with you, not because I'm trying to get something from you, because I want more for you. And so what does it look like for you to take sin seriously? What does it look like? For some of you, it's answering this question, what causes you to stumble? What is it? What is that thing that causes you to stumble? What's your weak spot? In Mark, Jesus talked about the hand, the foot, and the eye. The hand, the foot, and the eye, that's meant to encompass kind of all areas of your life. I mean, the hand, what do you do? Your feet, where do you go? And your eye, what do you allow into your body? So what causes you to stumble? What does your lifestyle look like? What are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you allowing in? What are you letting your mind, what are you letting capture the attention of your mind? What are you putting your thoughts on? What are you looking at at night? What are you looking at on your phone? What are you looking at at social media? Man, where are you going? Where do your feet take you? What relationship are you in? What relationship do you need to leave? What is it that causes you to stumble? Taking sin seriously. Step one is identifying what it is that causes you to stumble and deciding that I'm going to do something about it. Not that I'm going to be perfect, not that I'm going to get it right every time, but I'm going to acknowledge that this sin is killing me that this sin is doing something in me that Jesus doesn't want it to do in me, that Jesus died for this sin, and when I let it kill me, I'm pretty much saying what Jesus did on the cross doesn't matter. So what causes you to stumble? And then for some of you, what it means to take sin seriously, and then I'm gonna wrap up, is to acknowledge that you have a sin problem. Watch this. Some of you maybe have never confessed that you have a sin problem, that you need a Savior. When you confess and admit that you have a sin problem, you are opening yourself up to experience the grace of your heavenly Father. That when you admit that you have a sin problem, when you talk about and admit the seriousness of your sin, you are opening yourself up to experience the grace of God. So what does it look like for you to take sin seriously. And the two things I would say, one, what causes you to stumble? Identify it. Call it out and do something about it. And then for some of you, it's admitting maybe for the first time that you have a sin problem. There was a movie, I don't know, probably came out five years ago, maybe six years ago. And uh, it was about this guy named Aaron Ralston of it, that movie was called 127 Hours, and uh, it was about this guy, his name is Aaron, he's a rock climber, and he was out on the the mountains of the Grand Canyon of Utah, and he was out there climbing, doing his thing, being all outdoorsy, it's not my thing, it's kind of your thing, that's great, but he always would climb alone, and he would often go out there and not tell people what he was doing, so this one day he went out into the canyons of Utah, and he was just climbing, doing his thing, he didn't tell his family where he was going. And he's climbing, jumping around from spot to spot in between all these canyons, and then he slips. This big boulder gets cut loose, and he falls into this this crevice, this canyon, this ravine, and this rock, this big boulder that fell with him, sandwiched his arm from his elbow up against the canyon wall. So here this guy Aaron is, everything in his power to release his hand, and he's stuck. He literally cannot move. His arm is so squished because of the weight of the rock that he he can't move it. He's stuck there. And the the, the movie's called 127 Hours because he was there for five and a half days. And when he tells his story, it's unbelievable. When he tells his story, after day two or three, he was ready to die. After day two or three, he was ready to just kind of throw in the towel and give up and just call it a day. But then he started to remember he had a family. He started to remember, he said he had a dream of his wife and his son. And then all of a sudden it hit him. He said, my arm is not worth not doing life with the people that I love. And so he did something that sounds crazy. He did something that's kind of gross. He did something that if I went into the details, it would freak you out. But he cut his own arm off. He had a dull pocket knife, and he cut his own arm off. And he climbed out of the the little canyon that he was in, rappelled 65 feet down the face of this boulder, walked five miles, and ran into a family camping. And they got him to help. And now, he's got a prosthetic arm, still climbs, and he has life. Students... There are so many of you who are allowing yourselves to be stuck between this rock and this boulder. Your hand is stuck and you're trying to get loose and you're you're trying to battle this thing called sin and you really just don't want to let go. You're trying to figure out how to maneuver both. You're trying to figure out how to have life and to have life to the full and then just to let this sin continue to be a part of your life. And here's what you need to know. It's not worth it. Aaron's arm wasn't worth his life. Whatever sin that you're battling with and whatever thing that you've got to let go of that's causing you to stumble is not worth your life. That thing that you don't want to let go of because you think you need it, you think it's going to change your life if you don't have it, it's not worth your life. Jesus came to give you life and sin wants to take it. Not because you're going to go to hell. You can live your entire life and struggle with sin, which we will, and stumble along the way and still spend eternity with heaven. That's great. It's bigger than that. Jesus wants it for you now. Because eternity starts now. So cut your arm off. Be free. And don't let sin, whatever that thing is, that obstacle, keep you from intimacy with your Heavenly Father. Take it seriously. Because it creates space for you to experience intimacy with.